welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. And you know that feeling when you're just completely immersed in something? The, the world, the stressors that churn in your mind, it starts to fall away and your attention focuses in on what you're doing without you really having to think about it. Somehow, in that place of focus and immersion, you're able to just do. You're just acting and reacting without really having to plan what you're doing. And maybe, maybe you even start to stretch that emergent edge of what you think you might be capable of. You know, when I think about this feeling, I go back to a very specific basketball game in high school. It was my senior year. It was postseason. So of course, every game might be my last game. It's the semifinals for the regionals. And of course, of course, like a movie, we're playing our rivals. And I wasn't going to play in college. This could very well be it. And I don't remember that game at all, like not even a little bit. But afterwards, I was interviewed by the local newspaper and they asked me, what does it feel like to have been key at the end of the game? This is some of the best we've ever seen you play in five years. And I went, I did because I didn't remember it. So they print it in the paper. I'm horribly embarrassed in my adolescent mind, of course. But what I didn't know then is I had been deep in that flow state. So that feeling, well, today's guest is one of the world's foremost experts on that experience, the cognition, the access to flow states. And if you've listened to this show before, you know I am a big nerd, and one of my favorite things to do is nerd out on this kind of thing. So Dr. Chris Bertram is the Senior Director of Applied Neuroscience at Exos. He's an Associate Professor at the University of the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, Canada, and, and get this, the flow coach, what a cool title for Canada's snowboarding team. So if Chris can help Olympic athletes to get into that pocket, I am beyond stoked to nerd out with him. Chris, welcome to Better Than Fine. Well, thank you, Darlene. Uh, I can see at any time I run into somebody who wants to nerd out about the neuroscience and the psychology of flow, sign me up. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to uh, nice to meet you, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, a lot of people who listen to this show, um, if they're not a positive psychology practitioner already, they're at least peripherally interested in positive psychology. So I think we're going to have, uh, I think this might be already a fan favorite, just in the setup, no pressure. So I guess the place to start is what is flow and why do we like normal people care? Well, big questions. Uh, and I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> to give you a, a somewhat straightforward answer. It's, it's a bit of a two-parter really. And, you know, the, the, the words you described to when you talked about um, that basketball game you had in high school, I think is kind of fits the experience part of this really well. So there is that lived experience of what flow is like. And you you said very well something that was a real actually barrier to the field of flow for a lot of years, which is, you know, when you ask somebody after they've been in an experience of flow, what was it like? What was, you know, what was the secret today? You said it yourself. You're, you just had no, you, you don't even really remember it, right? Yeah. We don't have the words even if we do remember it to describe the feeling and so that's where we kind of got stuck like I was an athlete myself 
And I felt the experience of being, you know, what we used to just call being in the zone. Yep. And I, I believed in it. I know because I felt it myself. But the problem with that term was just exactly what you described. <laughs> when you try to define it, words fail you. When you try to think back on what it was like, memory fails us. And so, you know, the, the person who really got this onto some firm scientific grounding was a guy who wrote this book that I have right here on my desk all the time, Michai, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. There we and go. He <laughs> literally wrote the book and did the early research on flow. And, and the great service that he did for us in the scientific community was put those words, you know, down on paper and give the explanations that, you know, people who are in the experience have such a struggle with. So, you know, he was not you know, he was from the positive psychology world. He, along with somebody named Martin Seligman, were really the founders of positive psychology. And what he was interested in was happiness. It wasn't about what happens to you when you have that great basketball performance or any other athlete or even creative people. He wasn't necessarily interested in that either, even though that's a high flow area of life. He was literally just interested in what happens to people when they feel at their very best. And what he found along the way was flow. Because when he was doing these interviews, he was just going around the world asking, what do you experience? What is it like when you are the most content, the most happy, the most full of life? And people would say things like, well, it's like when I'm maybe when I'm when I'm having a conversation with somebody, you know, one word or one thought just seems to flow into the next. Or if it's a movement type of a thing, people talk about one movement just flowing into the next. And that's where the word originally came from. So it came up with this idea of flow state. And, and then he also went on to put down anywhere, depending on when you read him, between about seven to nine characteristics that people feel when they're in flow. So things like, you know, time passing very strangely. So sometimes an hour feels like five minutes, or other times it feels like we're kind of caught in the matrix and time really slows down and expands. Hmm. So there's this weird relationship with time that unfolds when flow is around. There's a sense that our sense of ego or a sense of self sort of dissolves and it's replaced with a real sense of connection. So like I might be really connected to the person that I'm talking with or if I'm in a band, you know, I feel like I can read the other musicians yeah. thoughts before they happen and group flow starts to emerge, which is a different phenomenon, but yeah. really cool one to talk about too. And there's just that sense of effortlessness and control and total absorption and all those other nice descriptors you used at the top. So, you know, that's Csikszentmihalyi's contribution was just that. It was really putting the words to what was previously ineffable or just words don't describe it. And so that was part of it. And then, you know, the part that got started to get me really interested because I'm not a psychologist. I don't come from a psychology <laughs> background. I come from more of the applied neuroscience background. So I'm curious about, you know, what's actually going on inside the mind and the body when flow shows up. And the cool thing is there's been now probably 15 years or so of really exciting neuroscience that's, you know, been investigating what is actually, how can we explain this from a mechanistic level? How do we explain this weird passage of time? Or how do we explain this evaporation of our sense of self and this sense of ease and control? Well, it turns out, you know, you start putting people into fMRI and doing other types of brain and body scans. We've actually begun to unpack a lot of this. And that's the really cool stuff from my standpoint. Yeah, the what's going on under the hood.
Yeah. You know, coming from the positive psychology side and also being like an embodiment person, right? A movement person, a personal mm -hmm. trainer, a, a yoga instructor, right? Um, one of the things I find really interesting about the origins of things like flow is so many of, you know, the the grand poobahs in positive psychology are clinical psychologists. And so yeah. they were exploring it from this really ideas, cognition, uh, you know, based in the philosophies of William James. And, but they were able to tap into something that people like you or I, right, these visceral somatic experiences that we struggle to have language for. But now we've got text like Chiksemi High's flow. Yeah. And I know so many trainers who read it and they're like, yeah, this is the thing that I do. <laughs> yes. Because for us, it's such a visceral somatic experience and consciousness. And like you're saying, you can measure it now in an fMRI. Yeah. Well, you can certainly, you can you can measure parts of it. I mean, uh, we haven't got it completely unraveled yet, but I, I think the clues are there. When we start to look at you know, the changes that happen inside the brain when people start to get into the state of flow, you can see some, see some really interesting changes in sort of the anatomy of flow and, and what part of the brain is being active or deactivated during flow. There's, there's really interesting changes in the neurochemistry and the types of neurochemicals that show up when we get into flow. And then, so cool. you know, there are all these other interesting changes in sort of the electrical rhythms of flow. So we can get into any of that that you want. I'm more than happy to talk about all I of these I personally things. want to get into all of it, but I'm mindful okay. that at a certain depth, we don't want to lose our audience. Um, so you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and our guest today is Canada's national slope style and big air athletes. Um, he is their flow coach, <laughs> and we get to pick his brain. Um, that guest is Dr. Chris Bertram. So I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons that people can care about flow, right? We've mentioned happiness. We mentioned creativity. We mentioned just being in that experience. Like it feels good to use skills that we have cultivated, right? You mentioned sure. music. I know I've experienced it as an actor. I've experienced it doing a show. Um, so there's all these different ways we can tap into it. Um, I also know I've read a lot of really bad content on flow online. I've yep. read a lot of really unhelpful things. <laughs> I Part of how you and I ended up here talking is I, I had the opportunity to take the Exos Game Changer program over the summer. Mm -hmm. And your flow priming activity was the best flow priming activity I have ever done. I have had some of my most productive and creative working hours. I've been using it to enhance my guitar playing. Like it's it's been magic. Uh, and so I'd love to talk about how do we get there like what is what you said there's a lot we don't know what do we know about flow that's not just like a fluff piece yeah <laughs> i could go google and learn nothing right yeah so uh yeah it's a good place to start because you know as uh my my real interest in is in things that we know to be true from an evidence standpoint so you know i'm sitting here in my office on a university campus so research has been a big part of my life for the past 20 years or so. But what really gets me excited beyond just, you know, what works in the confines of a research lab or the things that actually can be leveraged outside of the research lab, because frankly, a lot of it doesn't. And so when I'm, you know, if I'm standing up at the top of, you know, in the dark, in the Yukon, in the middle of winter, where the snowboarder is about to throw themselves off of some ridiculous... Please you know, 80 foot gap jump and they're 
They're asking for advice. What I say better have some applicability here beyond oh, this, this worked in, you know, my research lab on campus. So I'm really interested in what applies outside of the lab. And so, yes, everything that we're going to talk about here is grounded in evidence. So just as a starting point. Now, what do we know? So one of the things we know, and, and this is sort of, you know, one of the really cool contributions that has come out of neuroscience is that through the understanding of what the changes are in the state of the brain and body when flow shows up and we can see these things and we can measure to a certain extent some of these things is that we know that those same mechanisms can be tapped into using other intentional strategies because flow forever was just thought of as this magical, mystical, fleeting experience, right? That shows up, I don't know, hopefully when it matters, but more often than not, it doesn't. And we're just waiting for all the stars in the universe to align for this to yeah. show up. But now we know because we understand the mechanisms at a better level, how we can sort of reverse engineer some of those same mechanisms and activate those mechanisms. So let's talk about some yeah. of them. So there's a few ways we could jump into this, but one of the things that we know to be true about people when they get into flow is there's a really different activation and deactivation pattern happening in the brain. So like normally right now, you and I are having a conversation. We're both sort of actively engaged in some conscious thought and back and forth. And our frontal lobes of our brain are really active right now, right? It's our executive function. It's where we, you know, problem solve and it's where willpower lives and a bunch of other things that we really rely on for survival and for everyday human life. But it turns out this is the exact part of your brain that goes quiet when flow shows up. There's a term for this. It's called transient hypofrontality. It just means temporarily <laughs> the frontal lobes are less active. So hypofrontal, temporarily. Well, and that, yeah. Is that kind of the state where... I'm not having these like distracting thoughts or these self-monitoring thoughts, like the, that self melting away thing, right. Yes. Is I'm not thinking about everything I've got to do to like run the show with my producer. And did I say the wrong thing or whatever? Like that's not there. That's yeah. what that is. It okay. is. It's, it's all of those things and more because yeah. first of all, we do know that, you know, it, it, in athletic performance, let's say, or when you're playing your guitar, Conscious thought really is the enemy of performance in those times. Like we have expressions like overthinking or paralysis by analysis, right? We know that when we mm -hmm. let our frontal lobes kind of take over, our performance comes down. Like our frontal lobes are there for survival and we need them for survival, right? It's where, you know, a bit of, you know, caution comes in and that inner voice or that inner critic shows up. So, you know what, maybe don't stretch too far here because you might hurt yourself and you might, you know, impact somehow your ability to pass on your genetics, right? That's what our frontal lobes do for us as humans, but they're certainly not high performance tools. And so that's what ends up happening is the frontal lobes get very quiet. And what seems to happen is then our skills and our abilities and our thoughts are able to just flow out of us without the executive oversight of our frontal lobes. So we know this to be true. And we know this, by the way, by putting, you know, wrap freestyle rappers in fMRI and watch what happens when cool. I've got a paper right here. Oh, it's cool. About this neural correlates of freestyle rap. This is a real thing. <laughs> and what I they know is, I know, especially <laughs> this kind, right? 
But it, what happens, there's a very big difference in activation in the brain when you're reciting lyrics that you've got memorized. So now you're drawing upon frontal lobe activity because you've memorized and you're trying to pull that into your working memory. But then what they do is say, okay, no more memorized lyrics, just freestyle. Yeah, go nuts. And what happens is the, the, the brain completely starts acting in different ways and those frontal lobes start to quiet down and what emerges is improvisation and creativity, right? So we know there's some really, there's a, they've done this with jazz musicians and all sorts of other groups, but we know that this is part of what happens in flow. And the reason that that's cool, getting back to my earlier point about how we can reverse engineer some of this, is that we also know that there are other things we can do in life to drive these similar types of deactivation patterns. For example, I've got another paper here that talks about something called exercise-induced transient mm -hmm. hypofrontality, which means, and here's the take-home of this, that if I just go outside for a walk, what happens after about 18 or 20 minutes of mild to moderate exercise is my frontal lobes start to quiet down. And it starts to bring on elements that we know to be true of a flow state. Or about four to six minutes of really intense activity does the same thing. And so if we start thinking now, okay, what are the elements, what are the mechanisms happening inside the brain? And then what other things can we do to drive that same sort of brain change? Now, all of a sudden, flow starts to look more like something that we can control. And we can start to stack these triggers for flow on top of each other and start to nudge the brain and body towards this more optimal state. Very cool. I have a bunch of questions that are gonna take us off path, but we're gonna come back to them. Sure. Um, okay, so listeners of, of this show know that I talk about 20 minutes of moderate intensity cardio for happiness reasons and serotonin sure. sensitivity and endocannabinoids and all of that. But what I hear is there's other, of course, there's other things, right? But one of those things is it's nudging you toward that state that I'm not even going to try to say the phrase around what's happening. Hypofrontality. <laughs> there you go. It's quieting. Hypofrontality. We're leaning toward that. So what else? I'm assuming there's other things. I know dopamine's a thing. There's probably yeah. some other things on top of that. Yes. So... When, so if we break this down into three buckets, so we've talked about one of the things that tends to happen when people start to get into flow is the, the frontal lobes start to get quiet, right? That also, by the way, is the reason that time passes very strangely and we have this decrease in our mm. sort of sense of self. Though the, the frontal lobes, and I'll try to make this quick and to the point, but your frontal lobes are part of the reason, like when your frontal lobes are acting the way they normally act, like right now, our concept of time, for example, is a calculation that is being made across a whole network in our brain, but the frontal lobes play a really critical part in that. And so the reason I'm able to keep track of time in my head is a network that involves the frontal lobe. So now if you take the frontal lobes, that important node out of the network, the very apparatus that you have that keeps track of time is no longer working properly. And so, you know, there's no longer like, if you think about what performance anxiety is, what is that? It's, it's either worrying about things that have happened in the past that might have be coming true now or worrying about the future, right? It's time travel. Mm -hmm. That's where that, it's really where all anxiety and depression comes from. Frankly, mm -hmm. very little of it happens 
because of things that are happening right in front of us in real time. So now all of a sudden, if you strip away a person's ability to time travel, which is what happens in flow, what's left? No more are we worried about the past. No more are we fretting about the future, but we're locked into the present, right? That is why being present is basically a buzzword these days, but I think it's fascinating <laughs> that there's real biology here that we can oh, talk yeah. about that gives us that feeling. And the other one too, is just that sense of self, just like time, your sense of your physical self, right? And you know, that I'm here and you're over there or that I'm here and my keyboard is in front of me. Like, I feel like there's a separation there. And a lot of that is because of our brain's representation of ourselves. When that part of the brain goes quiet, that sort of separation sense that we have starts to dissolve. And what emerges is connectivity. Like I feel really connected. So that's part of, again, back to this sort of frontal lobe deactivation piece. But you know, you also mentioned the, the neurochemistry of flow, which is another important mechanism that definitely plays a role. So you've already talked about dopamine. We know that dopamine is involved. We know that adrenaline is involved, endocannabinoids, and they all have a role to play in this mix of, you know, all those chemicals that you just talked about that I just re-mentioned all have an effect on our mood and how we're showing up in the world and our lived experience, right? So, you know, the, the sense of, you know, we know that flow tends to, like we get very focused when we're in flow, right? It, there's even the expression that flow follows focus. And how does focus happen? Well, a lot of focus happens because of, the chemical adrenaline that circulates through our body whenever we get really excited or maybe a little bit fearful, we get a dump of adrenaline. And what does adrenaline do? Well, it does two different things. Really at the level of the body, it raises heart rate, it raises your blood pressure, and it moves blood that might be sort of chilling out in your stomach digesting food, and it shunts it all out to the muscles, and it readies the body for action. But at the level of the mind, what it does is it drives focus, right? So if we were sitting here right now and, you know, God forbid we had an earthquake or something, like I wouldn't care about anything else. I would get oh, very geez. focused on getting <laughs> out. I've been in an earthquake, so I know about this. But I would be very focused just on dealing with the momentary threat, right? Yeah. So that change in how we're showing up and energetically, like so adrenaline as a sort of a gatekeeper to flow gets us very focused and gets us very energized, right? Gives us that neural energy to get moving. But, you know, I, you mentioned, and I've mentioned that I do some work with snowboarders and I get asked a lot about, you know, what it's like working with adrenaline junkies. Well, I, I try to correct people about that. I, there is no way that anybody is addicted to the feeling <laughs> of adrenaline. Adrenaline is kind of edgy and agitating and, to use a snowboarder's term, it's a bit sketchy, right? What they're really after are the things that follow behind adrenaline, things like dopamine and serotonin. These are more pleasure chemicals and endocannabinoids. These are things that give us a sense of bliss and pleasure. Yeah. That's the thing that we're after in flow, right? That's what gives us the feeling of happiness or joy or fulfillment. It's that. So you need the focus to get going. It's a necessary condition for flow, but sufficient for flow. We need all these other pleasure chemicals and focusing chemicals that supplement it. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I hear there is you want to be upregulated, but you don't want to overshoot it. 
right? Because adrenaline, you could have too much, right? Yes. Would you? I would um, agree with that. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, Csikszentmihalyi is one of the great things that's in this book is he talked a lot about the flow channel. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's this, we're trying to balance, you know, boredom and anxiety, right? So yeah. if we're, if we're not switched on or upregulated, whatever term we want to use enough, we're going to be hanging out in the boredom zone. But if it yep. goes too far, we've got too much adrenaline on board and it's now, and then we start to wrap our mind around that in a negative way, then that can bump us out of flow. So sometimes we have to rise up into it and other times we need to drop down into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's very helpful. Um, so you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. Our guest has had more than 70 scientific articles published, you know, NBD. Uh, it's Dr. Chris Bertram, and we're talking about how do we find flow? So we talked about movement. We've talked about you need the opportunity for focus. We need enough, I think, I think enough um, regulation. I'm trying to come up with another word, but yeah. enough intensity enough you got to care enough yeah right to have the opportunity to get to that state yeah um so what does that look like in a practice right? sure how might someone access all of that yeah so the way i so first of all i will say that i mentioned earlier that i'm, I'm not a psychologist what i what i do study and what i've spent most those publications you mentioned a lot of the like my academic background is in the, the field of learning. How do we get better? And then how can we set the conditions to get better faster? And the reason I kind of stumbled into the science of flow was reading papers about how when they would use interventions for flow in an experimental way. And what happened was if you give somebody a flow intervention on the front end of a learning task, what shows up is accelerated learning. And that's mm -hmm. what really caught my attention originally, because I'm all about like, you know, when I go out and talk to athletes, the name of the game is how do you get better faster? And the, the studies on these flow interventions were really shocking to me, frankly. The, the, you know, I mean, they're publishing data that show if you have this flow intervention, you can learn three to five times faster than a control group. Like that's insane in my world. You just don't see yeah. effects like that. And so that's really what got me interested in it. And so when I think about flow now, I think about it really in two ways. Number one is what can we do when we're not feeling particularly flowy, right? Let's mm -hmm. say this is a training day and it's a crappy Monday. How do you raise the level of alertness and yes, flow, even in its micro forms, right? Flow is, can be very subtle at times. How do we bring that on board before we start doing the work? Because ultimately, learning, progression, and change happens up here in the brain. So we would be well served if we could sort of set that soil and water that soil so that when we begin the work, the brain is already receptive to it because there's a very strong link between learning and the emotional state of the brain, right? It's why everybody remembers life-changing moments, really intense moments of life. Because when we link experience with emotion and chemicals like adrenaline and dopamine, those things get ingrained. So if now we're talking about athletes training, we want those neurochemicals around. So I think about what can we do to set up the stage so that we can make the most out of the limited time we have to train our skills. So there's things we can do and we can talk about that. 
But then there's also the other side of it, which is the point that you were making earlier about sometimes we can have too much. That's what shows up in the Olympic Games or the X Games or the Super Bowl. Pick your arena. Now, all of a sudden, we've got all the adrenaline we want and then some because of the moment and because of pressure, right? Now the game is how can we start to dial down back into the flow channel from maybe a place of, so the practices here, that's how I think about this. What can we do to get cranked up when we need to be and want to be in service of learning? And then what can we do when the moment arrives so that we can dial it down and let those skills emerge again without the inner critic showing up in that conscious oversight? Yeah, and I think for our listeners, less likely to be uh, playing in the Super Bowl, though, certainly I know some of your clients fit that mold, uh, and more likely presenting at a conference, um, yeah. speaking at work, their first leadership roles. Um, we got a lot of coaches, you're working with a client, and you're concerned that you don't have the skills to pay those bills, you know, like, <laughs> flow is still relevant in everyday experience and practice, right? It's not just, all right, I'm I'm an Olympic athlete and this is my moment to shine, but it's yeah. also, um, you know, I'm I'm a mom and uh, an everyday person and this is, I'm, I'm stepping into my dreams and this is a big moment for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I think when it's, it's easy to, to get sidetracked by the conversation of flow when it comes to athletes yeah, and, it's cool. and it's musicians cool. and all the rest of it. It is. And it's absolutely true that it, it exists in those arenas of performance, but it is absolutely true as well that, you know, flow is everywhere. That is what yeah. one of the most important things that Csikszentmihalyi brought to the table is that doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a world leader or an assembly line worker, flow is available to all. It is ubiquitous. And it's, can also be kind of subtle at times, right? Like there's flow experiences, which are the life changing, like complete absorption moments, but it also shows up in really cool conversations that you're having, or, you know, people who get into video games can have five hours evaporate like that. I mean, there's flow <laughs> everywhere if we think about it that way. And yes, even when it comes to doing things like giving presentations. So, you know, that's my world, right? I have to stand up in front of people and talk and how I think about my relationship to flow and making sure that I'm showing up and being able to call upon the knowledge that I have in here so that I can get it across to other people. I really have to think about this. And so, you know, if we can absolutely talk about what everybody can do, whether it be athlete, whether it just be, you know, corporate executive, or if it's just, you know, everyday people trying to show up for their families or their friends and a better version of themselves or all sorts of things we can do to help set that table so we can go yeah. there for sure. Well, I know that you work with Stefan Underwood. He was just on two weeks ago. Um, what the listeners don't know is Stefan and Eric were teasing me a little bit before we started recording and then after we shut off because in the intro music to every episode, I dance off camera and Eric is the only one that can see me, but Eric told Stefan I do it. And Stefan goes, Oh, flow prime. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I do it. Right. That's it's right. this little micro moment of like, shake it out, get pumped up. It comes from my acting days. And I know if I just like dance a little bit in the vibe I want to have, and then I hit the mark, start the intro, the episode's going to go better. So to your point, little tiny things, it doesn't yes. have to be this 
big intervention. So, so what, let's, what, let's what unpack was, that. Let's yeah, unpack please. that. And let, let's talk a little bit about why your strategy is effective, not just because you know it to be effective, but there's actually some some mechanistic explanations of why that works. So I'll give you some some everyday practical examples of of things that I would do. So if I'm at work and I'm trying to get into flow to do something that's related to my work, an example of this is I just came through a project that we're working on with Exos where I had to do a lot of writing, right? Mm. And writing is my absolute nemesis in life. Everybody <laughs> I talk to knows this. It's an important part of my job, obviously, as an academic. And with Exos as a director of applied neuroscience, we have to write content. And But it's the hardest thing I do. And it's the thing that I procrastinate on the most. And so I want to show up and get into flow and just let the words and the thoughts just you know, emerge naturally, but that's generally not what happens. And so I'm very meticulous about my process when I have to sit down and do this. And I'll give you some examples of how I would prime my system for flow. First thing I do is I don't just come in and sit down and open up my screen and try to start. That is a recipe for failure. So I, what I will do typically is this, I will walk to my office or I will go for a big walk, you know, that 18 to 20 minutes, and I will start to shut down my frontal lobes through activity because I don't want my inner critic chiming in and saying, you're never going to get this done on time, right? And I don't want my sense of time to be ever present and worrying about all the past writing projects and how hard those were. I want that part quiet. So I prime myself first by going for a little walk. Then I will sit down at my desk and I'll do some breathing exercises that are designed very specifically to invite some dopamine, to invite some serotonin, to make me feel like, you know, I'm motivated to do this, but I'm not overtaxed and I'm not overstretched. I'm feeling comfortable with it. And there are some breathing techniques that you can call upon that can bring these neurochemicals around. The other really important things that I have to do is make sure that you know, my door is closed my phone is put away, my browsers are closed, and that I'm free of distraction because distractions are flow killers. So let's get rid of the low-hanging fruit first. And then the last thing I will do, and this is true of every, so this is all talking about this conversation of flow triggers, okay? One of the, if you look up flow triggers online, whether it's a puff piece or not, one of the things you will see is that having a clear goal is a very important flow trigger. This is really important at work because for me, that is literally, I will say, I'm going to give myself an hour of 60 minutes. And in that time, literally, Darlene, this is what I do. I say, I'll give myself, I want 300 words in the next 60 minutes. On your mark, get set, go. Now that is a modest goal. It's almost embarrassing to say out loud. It's like a paragraph. But I know that for me, the first time I have to sit down and get writing, it's hard to get there. And so if I know that I've got an hour, it's undistracted, and all I need to do is get 300 words, all of a sudden it's okay. I have a direction now. I know where I'm going. And that really is one of those things that can prompt you into it. And those are just some of the things that we can do. They're just basic behavioral practices. They're habits you can get into that can all nudge you a little bit closer to flow so that when I do get writing, sometimes I will drop into that flow, but a lot of times I don't, by the way. And so what I'll do is I'll say that I give myself that 60 minutes, but then I push stop 
And then what I'll do is I'll go and do something else. I'll remove myself from the project and I'll maybe go and do some other exercise or activity. Or maybe I'll go for another walk. And what starts to happen as I'm walking is it's like, oh yeah, that's that thought I was trying to come up with, or that's that word I was trying to find. And it starts to release me from the struggle that usually is the front end of a flow state. And then I'll come back in and I'll do a bit of editing. And I'll just leave myself some breadcrumbs and then I'll come back the next day and do it all over again. Now, what you talked about with dancing is a really interesting thing that I'm not really that much of a dancer, but here's what's happening when you, when you start moving your <laughs> I'm body. I'm not like, either, Chris. I am not either. It is fun for Eric, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But there's a really interesting thing, and there's a relationship between your inner ear and what's called your vestibular apparatus and dopamine and adrenaline-releasing centers in your brain. So whenever you get your body, especially when you get your head off axis by, you know, doing a handstand or doing a yoga pose or just spinning around or getting on a balance ball, whenever you challenge your balance system, your balance system and your vestibular apparatus are plugging directly into centers in your brain that release adrenaline and dopamine. So what do you get? You get energy, you get focus and you get motivation, right? Really gets you clear on what you're doing. So I think that's a great flow priming activity. Oh, thanks. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> so I think to like wrap it up, what I think I hear is you set aside time before the time of doing. Yes. And you fill that time with movement, with head clearing activity. You protect the moment of creativity or whatever it is you're trying to do. And I also think I heard detaching from the outcome of getting to flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think in my own experience, a flow killer is, well, I got to get in the flow. I got to get in the flow. I got to get in the flow. Because now all I'm doing is like stapling that self to something yeah. very specific that's going to keep whatever part of the brain I don't remember on, right? Yeah, it's so true. And I've, I wish I wore it. I wore it yesterday, actually. But I have my favorite shirt that I have has sort of like a Venn diagram on it. And on one circle, it says discipline. And on the other side, it says surrender. And the mm. overlap is flow. And I think it, it really says it all because yes, you need the discipline. And yes, you need to get yourself into focus and get rid of things that are going to distract you from it. But you can't try. Like you just can't force flow. You sort of have <laughs> to just let it happen. And yes, it, the other thing that we haven't really talked about that's relevant to this discussion is that you don't really go zero to flow that you go through four stages on well three to get to flow and then you need recovery afterwards but the front end of a flow state is always struggle sometimes it goes by very quickly and we find flow quickly <laughs> but other times like when i write sometimes my whole first hour is immersed in that struggle phase and then i use the walk or some other thing to help release from struggle but you have to understand that struggle is a part. It is a stop on the roadway to flow. And if you can accept that, if you can just make that part of your mindset that, you know, I've got all these Ryan Holiday books around my office too. Like the struggle <laughs> is the way. Like this is like almost, yep. that's just, that's true. That's just a truism. But the more we can wrap our head around the fact that I know I'm going to sit down and do something difficult here, but I know that that's really the necessary step if flow is going to show up on the other side. So that mindset piece at the front end really matters. 
Yeah, we're coming very close to, to our time. And, and the, the last thought I want to share is, is kind of twofold. You know, the first is you mentioned the need for recovery. I think a lot of times mm -hmm. in these flow conversations, we talk about all the great stuff. We don't talk about how cognitively demanding flow is, how much resource it takes. Yep. Um, and then you need time to pay that debt back. And the other thing I just wanted to throw out there is like, this is the point in flow conversations that I always feel like we're at the edge of being Jedi, right? Like we're talking <laughs> about some yoga, some Yoda, yeah. not Yoda, I mean, also yoga, but Yoda stuff at this point, yeah. right? We're like, there is no try and flow. There is just do or whatever. It's true. And, and speaking of Yoda, I, I, one of the tools, I don't know if Stefan mentioned this to you, but I actually have a drone that flies when you shift your brainwave patterns into the cool. pattern we know that's associated with flow. So you can literally <gasps> levitate a drone using nothing other than your mind, but it's, there is science and engineering behind it. It's not just like telekinesis. Okay. You're getting yes, <laughs> there is that piece of it, but I'm so glad you, you mentioned the recovery piece because it's fun when you start talking about flow and everybody wants the flow piece, but you're right to yeah. call out that flow is energetically expensive as is yeah. the rest of life, by the way. I mean, you stack flow on top of that, you're draining the battery really rapidly. And it is the fourth step of the flow cycle, but it absolutely is the place that we talk about at EXO as being the place to start. Because when people ask me about how do I find flow, I usually start by saying, well, if you want to reliably lock yourself out of flow, be under recovered. Yeah, skip that sleep. means skip sleep, but then also don't do active recovery and self-care, yeah. whatever we want to call it throughout the day. All of those things, that is going to lock you out of flow. So yes, absolutely. Recovery first, then flow. Yeah, I'll quickly plug that episode with Stefan was on um, readiness and what, mm. it, what does it mean and how do we get there? And um, so Chris, thank you so much for your time, for your brain candy, for being a nerd with us. Um, we love <laughs> rabbit holes here on the show. And I feel like we had some really productive rabbit holes. Um, if someone is interested in your work, um, it sounds like engaging with Exos is probably the best way to get the benefit for us mere mortals. Um, Absolutely. But where might yeah. they find you? Uh, yeah. So obviously, uh, Team Exos is where we do our daily work. Uh, I'm also somewhat active in, in social media. So usually the handle at Dr. Chris Bertram is the place to find me otherwise. Well, you're getting one follow from me today. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. Darlene, thanks for having me. This was a very fun conversation. And in true flow fashion, uh, the hour has flown by. Yeah, for me too. Thank you very much. Um, and if you are interested in supporting clients to make sustainable change, um, wellness, well-being, uh, listen up because I've got a little something for you. So the National Academy of Sports Medicine, NASM, who produces this show, we have a wellness coaching certification that's been built by experts in sleep, stress, coaching, neuroscience, movement, positive psychology. And, you know, as a contributor to that program, I am going to toot my own horn here world-class program on how you actually help someone to make sustainable, positive change in their lives instead of just telling people what to do, which we all know at this point just doesn't work. So that certification is 50% off on NASM's website and listeners to this show get an additional $600 off with the code MARSHALLCWC. So M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. You're going to go to NASM.org, click wellness up at the top, and then use that promo code gets you a $600 off the current price. That code is through the end of March. So if you've been sleeping on it, 
I mean, get good sleep, but also use the code. Um, I, of course, would love to hear your feedback. I always appreciate hearing from you. You can email me, info at darlene.coach. You could DM me on Instagram, also darlene.coach. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find us on our Substack, coachdar.substack.com. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, I hope you've already subscribed. Thank you to all the lovely reviews that we've been sent in and that are on those platforms. Share the show. That's the way that we grow. Be well. Take good care of yourselves. And thank you.